Hello, I'm Colin Baker, known to my friends as Old Sixty, the sixth doctor in that wonderful series, Doctor Who. And I am proud to tell you, you are listening to me <laughs> and also Gallifrey Public Radio. The radio that brings you everything from Doctor Who to Rhino Wants a Wife, which is a book written by Lucy Baker, my daughter. It's a children's book. You can get it from fbspublishing.co.uk and it's about a rhinoceros who is lonely and wants a wife and it's illustrated by my other daughter's boyfriend and it's a bargain. Buy it! This is Gallifrey Public Radio, a weekly podcast dedicated to positive enjoyment of Doctor Who. We travel through classic and new episodes, explore the extended universe, and play a few games from time to time. We do discuss news, content that has been officially released, and the occasional interesting rumor, but we'll warn you before anything considered spoilers comes up. Welcome to episode 513 of Gallifrey Public Radio where the best way to deal with twice the villains is to double your protagonists. I'm Jay. I'm Julie. I'm Kier. And I'm Haley. This week, it's another 1980s multi-doctor story, which means weird characters and wild costume decisions in The Two Doctors. Time Lords have said they maintain strict neutrality regarding other civilizations, but when scientists in a third zone think tank start making progress on time travel, the doctor is dispatched to intervene. The second doctor, that is. A past scientist acquaintance of the Doctor, aided by a genetically enhanced Andrigum and a squad of Centaurans, sees the Doctor as the key to their success, and his capture ripples all the way up to Six and Perry. Now, logically, that must place us in rural Spain, right? <laughs> so, as the struggle to save the second Doctor devolves into companions running from cannibals and Chassini, the GMO, deciding to do similar DNA modifications to a Time Lord. One huge dinner tab and a lot of knife point threats later, and the Doctors, Jamie, and Perry are left with little time to wrap up all these problems before the dessert course. I shall now execute your comrade. Wait! Now that's why you Santarans have no allies. You can't be trusted. We have no need of allies. Santaran might is invincible. So, where do we want to start with this one? There was kind of a lot to unpack. It's a problematic story, but I don't know if it's necessarily problematic because of the script or because of some of the things in the way that it was executed. Um, I don't know. I, I think we all, with our each of our lists of things to, to kind of call into question, I don't know if we if our if our balance is more about things that we really appreciated 
were things that we kind of wondered, was that supposed to be as it was? So <laughs> it's not necessarily positive, negative, but more of a uh, enjoyed and don't know what to make of. Hmm. Did it work or did it not? Right. <laughs> so maybe l- let's roll it up that high. Did the story work? I feel like, I mean, this was meant to be in a multi-doctor story because that's what we've we've kind of set out to do. When you compare it to the two previous multi-doctor stories we've had, this just really fell flat. It was great to see the second doctor and Jamie back, but man, it really didn't live up to the, the, the stakes that they've done previously. Troughton was given some good material to work with. Anytime you give Patrick Trouton an opportunity to switch characters in the midst of a story, you get some fun stuff out of him. It's, it's something mm. that he's particularly talented at, and they've used that on this show on more than one occasion. So that's enjoyable. Having you know, Seeing him riffing with Shockeye, certainly. Entertaining. You also dude. got some of his interactions with different characters while he was on the table. So him being mm-hmm. able to really play it up and then calling himself out. So, oh, that didn't work. Okay, try the next thing. <laughs> it was a really nice juxtaposition to see an incarnation of the Doctor that was willing to say, okay, I floated that. Uh, that didn't land the way I wanted. Versus Six, who never, ever admits foibles. Going out of his way to say, no, I'm always right. And oh, I was just a little bit off course, but I'm still right. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. One of the things that really kind of stood out to me was uh, when you have both Jamie and Perry in the scene together, seeing how differently the two of them are treated is jarring, especially when it's coming from the same character. Like not even like how the second doctor treats Jamie versus how the sixth doctor treats Perry. It's how the sixth doctor treats Jamie versus how he treats Perry. And that comes right off the script. How he treats other people as well. Well, yeah. Yeah. I think that's indicative of Robert Holmes as your writer. This is, I believe, the last story that he penned for the show. And it's, it's, the, it's the changing of a guard uh, to a certain degree. We always noted during earlier eras within the show that we really appreciated some of the progressiveness that came from uh, Pip and Jane Baker and writers of that sort who really recognized uh, more of a, a, a balance of, uh, of gender strength and, and, uh, and, and cast distribution as well. Uh, and then just that working its way into uh, a balance and respect within the dialogue. And we thought we were seeing signs of it as we were going through this era and then it takes this kind of a rollback because you're handing it to a writer who kind of knows what their what their strengths are my strength is the science my strength is the you know is the idea of keeping it snappy in a sci-fi vein and in that respect sure you know i I get exactly what was being attempted here okay androgum's got that sure centaurans involved because they're single-minded sure but all throughout is this dialogue that we just keep kind of stumbling over and other things that we kept stumbling over. Sometimes literally. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, which is, to one of my points, was the wardrobe effective or over the top not enough? There was not enough there. There there certainly wasn't enough. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. You could say some of it was lacking. Yeah. Yeah. So is that something that I I know that there have been choices like that because of, I don't know, maybe the time frame and just trying to appeal to a certain sect of the audience. But do we feel it's appropriate? Uh, Have there been any discussions since then saying, hey, we're sorry that this is where we landed on that? I don't know if there have been apologies. Uh, there have been explanations. There have been things attributed to it to say this was it was a it was a time when we were pushing boundaries and and taking chances and however you would like to you know put a um, put a filter on that, but it doesn't change the fact that it was wholly unnecessary and uh, and 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 ridiculous, uh, sort of counterproductive to what you were trying to screen. You, know, you first see yeah. Perry there, and she's trying to sun herself next to a fishing hole, but she's still wearing platform shoes, and it, it's just it, the whole thing is just uh, um, odd. It's kind of the way Perry's character has been treated for the run of the show. Um, she's not developed in a way that shows that the writers respect her as a character. That's true. Yeah, I, I think of some of the the other encounters we've had with this kind of thing. And you, you've got Leela who it's kind of explained that, you know, she's, you know, she's wearing the, 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 you know, the, the leathers and stuff like that, because that's just her civilization. She's a huntress. She's, you know, it's, it's meant to be that way. And uh, we had the one instance with Nissa when, you know, is it kind of explained away like, Oh, it's getting very hot. So she has to shed the rest of her clothes and that kind of, it's like, at least there was some attempt made to be like the you know there's a reason why they're doing and with this one i really feel like it was just like well we got to draw people in somehow there yeah. were a few things like that that were just sort of flatly gratuitous you know it was unnecessary for uh, for it, and it's not just the wardrobe it's it's camera placement it's blocking it's it's all mm-hmm. the things that basically put uh things front and center uh in front of the in the camera for solid chunk of time and if you can look past that if you if you can just say all right i'm fine i'm I'm gonna maybe i'm going to listen to the episode uh or episodes more than i'm going to watch them from moment to moment uh, for for that reason or if it's something where um another thing that we were talking about about whether or not it may be unnecessary for inclusion not from the sexualized nature but the from the the violence and gore that we have seen that is starting to work its way into these mid '80s stories a little bit more. So now we've got a stabbing happening on screen, and the mm-hmm. death of a character who wasn't just a oh, the, the guard at the post. This is somebody who we were supposed to like. He was this funny little moth collector, and and we see him slowly, particularly slowly, mm-hmm. uh, bleed to death in a restaurant. I had to wonder yeah. if that was like a dream of his to die on screen as part of either the character being an actor or somebody who knew you a mean guy an who's actor. like an actor <laughs> or if it was like this literally the actor who goes to my buddy who's the writer and says, can I can I be the one to do that scene? Because I would love to die on screen. And then, you know. However many donations later, it happens. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, also, the Suntarans melting to death or them carrying in a leg after the one had exploded. There's some pretty yeah. effective use of 
that kind of imagery for it's, sure. Yeah, the choices. The choices start are getting bolder and bolder and bolder. Uh, whether or not they should or whether or not there's any uh, any justification for it, they are trying these things and they're not really shying away from it. It's been getting progressively more intense as these stories go on. Mm-hmm. Julie, you just mentioned the, the Santarans. Like, do how do we feel about their inclusion? Like, were they strictly needed in this story or was it just another layer that I feel like you you had Chassini behind the scenes the whole time doing things and it, the Santarans really just kind of acted as puppets and like at the end of the day were they necessary? They, if you want to stretch this story to three parts yeah you need another fold in there to make that happen. It, it does make a viable filler but I also think that to a certain degree they have established pretty well the the doggedness of the Centauran Empire and the fact that I and I, I think this had been referenced in m- at least one other if not a, a couple of occasions prior that should they ever almost on par with the Daleks if they were ever to acquire the ability to time travel it would make them a nearly unstoppable force mm-hmm. so the the Andrigums, as what had previously been just the the dumb muscle uh, for these uh, for this uh, territory, you know, the, this portion uh, of of uh, developed space, they could have been dumb muscle. You could have that way. You could have seen uh, Andrigums go all the way from the shock eyes and maybe even ones that were even less developed than shock eye all the way up through their experimentation up to what Cassini was. But I don't know if that would have carried the same weight or the same impetus for the doctor to say, no, this is something we have to address. We have to tend to this and not let it progress a little bit further because these are the Centaurans we're talking about. And if they, if they, if, if they take this on, if they add this to their repertoire, I don't know if this is something that I can handle. So something of that nature, I get it. Well, also, this is supposed to be one of the big multi-doctor stories, big anniversary special. You want to bring back one of your established villains. It wasn't an anniversary special. This or, is 85. Well, still, just the multi-doctor story nature. Like, you want to yeah. bring back somebody we've we've fought before and give that weight to this story instead of just having the new villains. I agree. And I think that it also establishes a nice story triangle. So you've got everyone playing against each other, and it allows for some of the dialogue to not just be one-sided or um, luxury in between the pairs that are working together, because it, it makes sense that they sneak off into an area and then talk about the other ones behind their backs, or they're running off in a different direction and giving an instruction that somebody hears it and then that gets relayed and then it's a little bit of a game of telephone. Those kinds of things don't happen if it's this group versus this group, but being able to play with some of that back and forth, the plane crashing, uh, quote plane, uh, and some of that kind of going in the different exits and following each other around the town that kind of stuff was fun to play with when you have those multiple groups. So, which kind of brings me to the question of uh, Spain 
Is this just because they have good restaurants in every other doorway or uh, countryside that worked well? The bell chiming? I, I don't know. Was there a um, reason for this or just... It was a last minute location change. <laughs> they were expecting... Uh, th- this was originally penned to happen in Nolens, and there was no budget to film in the States. So hmm. it ended up, and then they floated, I think they were thinking about Venice at one point. Uh, again, places where you had, you know, decent kind of cultural uh, gathering and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, the, the proximity of restaurants, because Holmes knew from the beginning that he wanted this, he was a vegetarian and wanted to make an allegorical statement about uh, carnivores. So that's how this kind of devolved into what it was. But no, they the, the budget wasn't there for the it. The old meat eaters. Exactly. It's, yeah. I And, and yeah, and so the, the, the cannibalism thing that just kind of comes in uh, hard. But yeah, I think, I think the proximity to restaurants was there in the script, but I don't think it was intended to be uh, uh, Spanish restaurants. Although it worked out fine. I mean, paella. Who doesn't love paella? They ate a lot of random stuff that, what was it, a thousand pound meal plus wine plus something else? It's like 18,000. It was like 18,000. It was number. ridiculous. Yeah. I was so hungry when I was watching this and still am. <laughs> <laughs> it was a mere snack. Yeah, I kind of went off the other direction because uh, that movie mean, starts talking about some of the recipes, sure, but then. Every time he would say flesh, it just, I was like, (laughs) (laughs) well, that kind of brings me to one of my points. Like it's not technically cannibalism because they're not technically human, but close enough to cannibalism to really creep out the kids, right? Yeah, creep out the kids, and I think if Holmes had had his way, kind of turn off the audience. He was trying to make the audience uncomfortable with the idea of eating flesh. That's why you had like rats being consumed on screen and chickens being consumed on screen. Mm. Uh, yeah, really, really painting it. We an almost inch cut thick. up every single one of the cast. I'm pretty sure for who's preparing them, and then <gasps> momentarily got pulled away. <laughs> <laughs> Curses I, again. Right. I just, you have to wonder how many times Fraser's been asked about getting beat up for that scene to tenderize. <laughs> <laughs> Is Fraser really marbled below the thigh? <laughs> right. I'm sure he'll be happy uh, which, to tell you. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Something he, maybe, maybe not. Again, how many times has he been asked? <laughs> uh, but it, it does make me wonder. From the Andragum perspective, are they all that way, or in in the craving of other planets' sustenance and the cooking and the the need to travel for that uh, and, and trying to become more than they are, or is that do some of them have food and different things that they cook on their surface? Have they eaten each other, and that's why they're forced to leave their planets? I don't know I if we got a lot the, about them. They are they haven't been utilized much beyond uh, the story. A couple of couple of books and things, um, but they have always been described as these uh, uh, rather base creatures that are driven by insatiable appetite. Full stop. 
know, if they if they had the means, had the intelligence to be able to to get off their own planet, I'm sure they would have gone ahead and 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 gone that route and started devouring <laughs> the ecosystems of anything else they could get themselves to. Uh, but they hadn't as of yet been able to. So this was their chance to uh, to move on. That's why there's that whole thing about like the lineages of the Andrigums and Cassini was the representative of one. You don't forget your roots and that sort of thing because they were going to carry that legacy to, to the stars kind of thing. And it was weird that there was the call out for, oh, can you read that book? And they're smart enough to read other languages that they've never seen before. Right. Well, I mean, we only have these two examples of the Andrigums, so we don't um, we don't get to see some of the ones I think to Jay's point about whether the Centaurans were really necessary in that if you wanted to go the route of slapping red eyebrows on a half a dozen extras uh, and and getting a, a cast of Andrigums that run the gamut from the really sort of animalistic Cro-Magnon types all the way up to Chizini the Exalted, then yeah, you might might have been able to uh, to understand a little more how they had been altered. Uh, and and given a little bit uh, smarter than the average bear intelligence. Mm -hmm. So I guess the last thing I really want to discuss is like the biggest part of the story. It's the two doctors. So there are two doctors in this story, but they barely interact. We're halfway through the third part before they're even on screen together. Was that satisfying as a multi-doctor story? For me, I felt like it was... Uh, two arcs that eventually caught up to each other and they tried to set it up in a way that one was following the other and so I didn't feel like I didn't feel like it was wrong it's, it was a lot of care for the previous like Six caring and trying to make sure that his storyline gets held up and that he doesn't go anywhere but very selfish in that way and then when they were working together it didn't feel like they cared or were natural towards each other. So that I did feel like that fell a little flat. Yeah, I, I agree. The The whole point of having a multi-doctor story is to watch them interact and see how the characters feel about each other. And we got so little of it in this one, and they spent the entire time bickering and just being horrible to each other that it wasn't enjoyable at all. That was kind of my take on it as well, Jay, is, is that uh, as much as I, the, the novelty of seeing these two sharing screen time was, was a nice thing to, to say, all right, it's been done and I'm, I'm appreciative to see these two eras kind of dovetail. They are, you're, you're choosing two iterations of the Doctor that are such a disparity in personality and behavior and, uh, and manner and and treatment uh, of those around them that they can't actually work uh, cohesively together. They, 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 I don't think you would be doing one or the other a disservice to their persona in order to either harden two to to kind of you know uh, to to check six when he's getting uppity or something like that, or to call him out on his uh, some of his his uh, bombasticness or his pompousness. And by the same token, if you were to soften Six, that's not true to, to what we know of him as well. That that kind of has to be something that, that spreads out over time. Perry takes a long time to kind of tease out a compliment 
here and there, you know, they're very, very far and few between. So it's, it's oil and water from the start within the same character, which is fascinating with the show that you can say something like that. But yeah, nonetheless, it doesn't, doesn't make for a, a, a smooth bit of scene work. And I'm wondering if that may be to Haley's point about them not really, really sharing a lot of dialogue until well into the third uh, installment, that may be the case because it's more interesting to sort of see them in their pockets being them and then the toggle back and forth is what makes it, wow, they really are the same person but dramatically different. And you just get to appreciate that. I accept Overall, how do we feel this story rates on our level of rewatch and or recommend? I mean, you almost have to recommend it because it's a multi-doctor story. But I feel like that's kind of the only criteria that makes it an episode that you would want to recommend to somebody. Because there's just there's better stories out there for two. There's better stories out there for six. There's better stories out there for Santarans. So... Not high on recommendability or rewatchability, I would say, which is unfortunate. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it's. I don't find it particularly recommendable. Like there, there's not a lot of, like, oh, you've got to see it because it introduces this aspect or it does this thing. If they want to watch a multi doctor story, there's, there's plenty of of better ones out there. It, there's not really anything in this one that I feel like you, you can't. Uh, go on without seeing. And as far as rewatchability, it's for the same thing. Like I don't see myself going back to, to watch this one. And the, the gold standard of would I keep it on in the background while I'm folding laundry? Probably not. I'd probably skip it to something that I actually enjoy more. I think to that point, that is where I find this one may have a, a repeat value. So I wouldn't call it rewatchable so much as I would call it re-listenable because some of the dialogue is is kind of clever. Some of the lines individually are are kind of clever. Some of the the scientific premise within it as as Holmes has often done uh, is 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 interesting to kind of take in and say, "Oh, you know, they're they're still, you know, tinkering with those those sort of concepts today uh, in modernly uh, modern penned sci-fi." But as soon as you start looking at it for too long, you start thinking, okay, well, all right. Yep. That's the, the, this is that story. Okay. I, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm going to go back to looking down uh, at my notes or what have you. So that's where I would still say it has a little bit of merit in the rewatch column. Recommendable. To, I absolutely agree with your points about the fact that there are better multi-doctor stories out there, uh, but your completionists are going to want to uh, add that to the, to the list for sure. It is, potentially recommendable insofar as seeing that Troughton still has chops as of 1985. So so kind of what I'm hearing is that we would like them to tighten up the dialogue, put it into audio and try again. I think that'd be a fair edit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as they say in the, in the real estate business, it's got good bones. <laughs> Succulent bones where the meat falls off like ripened fruit. Not those kind of bones. Yeah, I'd, I'd take that. So I don't disagree with anything you all said. I don't need to spend a bunch of time saying it again. Well, we would be uh, 
Happier to start with another news item, but as we are recording today, this uh, marks the day that we have received the news that Michael Jason uh, has passed. Our our Valiard, after a battle with a brief illness, statement was released um, by the uh, family and the state um, indicating uh, that he has left us and uh, they would uh, respect and appreciate some privacy at this time. So it's for those of you who had the opportunity to be able to see him at uh, recent conventions within the last five or six years, um, both in the UK uh, and the US, uh, consider yourselves fortunate and uh, to the stars. So the next news item is a little happier for both fans of Doctor Who and fans of The Great British Bake Off. Jodie Whittaker is going to be appearing in a celebrity special edition of the show. And they're going to bring together 20 famous, at least in the UK or among people who watch UK television, uh, faces <laughs> across five episodes. We were commenting before we started recording that uh, that number 20 should scare you. Not only because uh, we thought there were only 12 uh, British actors, so that's that's odd, but the fact that we I don't think we've ever seen more than 12 people in the tent. I, I again don't believe that they'll be putting 20 people at once into a tent. It will for sure be broken up into some number of smaller groupings. Yeah, well, I'm also thinking... I just don't know... I'm thinking of the scheduling of some of these people. Like, they may not be available for huge chunks of time. So what you said, I think, makes sense. <laughs> they get to tag for out. For sure. What I'm... Yeah. No, not even tag out. Just they book... You book for one weekend. Mm -hmm. And you go and you... Because that's how they do it, is you, you bake Saturday and Sunday. And then that way they can do all three challenges. And either you get hey, one and done, thank you so much for coming. Or if they're going to try to extend it a little bit, you get four groups of five. Mm -hmm. That's 20, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then <laughs> makes sense. That's you your get first four episodes. And then you've got like the finals. That's the winner from the final. It should, be, it should be interesting. I don't know how long it'll be before we stateside get to see that because this is all being done as part of this fundraising uh, element for Stand Up to Cancer. So I don't know if that's going to change what would normally be the distribution speed with which it comes to Netflix here in the States. I don't know if that we would We got delay it, it airing at the same time this past season, mm. if I recall. So cross your fingers that it is simulcast and we get it at the same time and we don't have to wait and avoid spoilers. The the last bit of news that we've got today, uh, RTD actually kind of gave us a state of the series for 2024 and 2025 episodes in the uh, 600th issue of the Doctor Who magazine. They're only a little bit of out in front of us. Right? <laughs> They're a little more consistent. <laughs> <laughs> a lot better editing. <clears throat> but yeah, I thought this was kind of interesting. Did everybody kind of get a chance to parse through this and see? Uh, it doesn't spoil anything, so you don't have to worry about it. This just says, you know, this episode uh, is about this percent done and it's still waiting on, you know, whatever. It's, it's waiting on a score. It's waiting on effects and so forth. Did you look through it? Uh, yeah, and it's it's kind of funny watching as like RTD is like, oh, this is this percent done and this is this percent done. And then like put in parentheses, like I'm making all of these numbers up. I have no idea how math actually works kind of thing. <laughs> like, 
I love his self-deprecating humor. The guy has so much going for him right now and has one of the most brilliant minds in television right now. And he's like, I'm just spinning levers. I have no idea what's going on behind me. It's great. It is kind of interesting seeing how much like he's he's bouncing around some where there's like there are episodes of season one that aren't aren't completed yet. And he's got episodes in season two that are completely finished. And like, I think they're. They're, they've already filmed them and stuff. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah, or they're going back to just do pickup scenes and things. Um, mm. you, uh, for for those of you whose ears just picked up, uh, Jay did, yes, admit to these things being season one and season two. <laughs> yep. Hey, that's It's what they're being labeled as. It's what everyone's calling them. Just I, I'm not going to sit here and stick my head in the sand and be like, no, you can't change it again. Just I'm going with it. So then what we just watched was... Series zero, negative one. Uh, no. The, the, don't try and it's it's like Doctor Who canon. Don't try and figure it out. Just go with it. Yeah. <laughs> the specials sit in limbo anyway. They're all series zero. Mm-hmm. They're all series zero. It's like comic book numbering, kind of like after the number gets high enough, you start over again at one. <laughs> but sometimes there's like a special in between that's like a limited. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then at some point they'll decide that they want to know what the true number is, so they'll revert to the original numbering. But I think it's potentially up to either what they had written, what they could shoot, uh, who was available, different things like that for the percentages across the board. And then I'm sure even the ones that look incomplete, he knows what he'll write. It's just a matter of actually putting that pen to paper or fingers to keyboards to make it happen. So right. it's it is good to see that we have at least two series worth of actual content coming within this year and next year. So it's not even yeah. it's not that far away. And it all comes down to I like the fact that he very plainly puts the explanation in here for those of you. I'm sharing this as a as a curiosity for all of you in case you wanted to know. But in case this is something that you've ever groused about, just and I think it, it actually solidifies uh, something that uh, Jay you were mentioning uh, in a previous recording of ours that the, the entire industry is driven by the duration you have to carve out for effects these days, mm-hmm. and that's just the. It's just the way that it is. You can have all the stories in the world and they will just get, you know, a log jam at the door until you have a crew that's there to sit there and do the kind of effects that warrant the budget that you're trying to maintain uh, and the timetable that you're trying to cram it into. So uh, that's your uh, your bottleneck right there. Let's go back to the bubble wrap. <laughs> <laughs> I th- always thought it would be kind of fun just for once to take a really like a banger of a, of a modern episode and retrofit it like wow. go back and do it with cardboard and craft there, paint and a there trip are to home youtubers Depot. who have done that for you you don't have no, to but look do it with the far. full cast do it with the cast <laughs> you know how much that costs to get them Tenet to do and it? tate would do Tenet. it they would they would absolutely <laughs> you give us one more pandemic where everybody's in lockdown <laughs> no for the love not of god no not that i'm Please, inviting don't it. even I'm just saying don't you even could. joke All right, I'm not joking. I'm very, very serious about this. (laughs) Next time when we come back, uh, we're actually going to be talking about all the things that that came up during Gallifrey 1. Came up, past tense. Because we can do that now. We'll have come up. (laughs) We'll have coming up. Yeah, I was never really good at 
verbs. This has been episode 513 of Gallifrey Public Radio. Until next time, this is Jay saying, I'm just, I'm tenderizing the meat. It's what you do. <laughs> and this is Gary saying, yes, I think I could venture to say that most of our customers are certainly human. <laughs> this is Julie saying, oh, my giddy aunt. Oh, crumbs. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Haley saying, I'm so glad Jostari got a second job hosting the Hunger Games. <laughs> We'll see you next time. Allons-y. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Gallifrey Public Radio. Want to keep the conversation going? You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Or just send us a good old-fashioned email to feedback at gallifreypublicradio.com. You can also give us a phone call at 754-225-5477. That's 754-CALL-GPR, and you may hear your voice on a future episode of the show. Everything's got to end sometime, otherwise nothing would ever get started. Join us next week for a brand new episode. Gallifrey Public Radio is copyrighted in 2024. GPR is a fan-owned, fan-produced podcast. We'll see you next time!